Shalom and thank you for joining us on another edition of the Seekers of Meaning TV show and podcast. We're grateful for your time. Uh, these podcasts, as you know, hope to explore issues that relate to the implications of the revolution and longevity for ourselves, our families, and our community. I'm your host, Rabbi Richard Address. You can reach me at Rabbi Address at JewishSacredAging.com and at our website, JewishSacredAging.com. And we appreciate, I'm very grateful for your support, our, your continued support. If you'd like to make a tax-free donation to support this work, please go to the website, click on the conveniently located donate button and just follow the prompts. One of the great revolutions that is taking place in the American Jewish community right now is this growth of very, very exciting new communities, lots of them in urban settings. Uh, and where we are in Philadelphia, uh, my hometown, and we live right outside of it, it's no exception. And so it is with a great deal of pleasure and anticipation that we welcome to uh, Secrets of Meaning today, Rabbanit Hadas Fruchter, who is the organizer, convener, rabbi of the South Philadelphia Stiebel. So, Rabbanit Fruchter, Todaraba, welcome. Um, First of all, let's get one thing really straight for those people who perhaps missed that class. Define the word Stiebel. Ah, <laughs> well, it's so great to be here. It's such an honor, and your work is wonderful. Thank uh, you. Stiebel just means little davening place uh, in Yiddish, um, and it's actually interesting. I can't wait to tell you about how our little davening place is growing um, and how it can still be called a Stiebel, but that's what it means. So you you um, came to Philly from the Washington area, correct? Washington, D.C. area? That's right. I actually grew up in the D.C. area and then moved to Philly uh, to move here to start this. Wise, wise move. A wise move. <laughs> Much better city. Um, the To start your own, for want of a better term, community, congregation, takes a tremendous amount of, as we say in uh, Jersey, guts. Um, walk me through the motivation. Why did you choose to do this? Why did you get a, a you know, was there a calling on the Amtrak or on 995? Uh, what motivated you to do this? A great question. Well, just to tell you a little bit about, about me and really my story to answer that question begins when I was a kid um, in Silver Spring, Maryland. I grew up in an Orthodox family, um, youngest of four. My grandfather was actually a rabbi from 1940 uh, through the 70s at 11 different pulpits throughout the United States. Um, I have his, his, his smicha hanging on my wall right over there. Um, and he and my, my grandmother, uh, Rebetzin Jeanette Fruchter, he was Rabbi Alfred Fruchter, uh, they were always kind of in the back of my mind as I grew up because my parents built this home that wasn't rabbinic per se. They were not rabbis, but my mother was the chapter advisor of the local youth group. They would create this environment at home that really felt like it was a community being built at all times. And I would feel that energy of Jewish community leadership in my home. And I would just think about it and think about what it means to be Orthodox. I mean, I grew up in modern Orthodox uh, community and in a modern Orthodox family. Um, but, you know, if you were to corner me in high school and be like, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? Um, I never actually knew the answer to that question. Um, but I found myself one day saying, I want to marry a rabbi, which is so funny, right? Like this type A 
personality high school student is saying that she wants to have her career determined by who she marries, which I don't necessarily have control over also. But upon thinking about it, I realized that really what I meant is I want to build Jewish community. Um, And I still had no models for that in the Orthodox community uh, other than uh, this amazing position that was filled by the wife of the rabbi for many, many years, including my grandmother. So I went on my way. I studied urban planning and undergraduate at Queens College. Um, And then I decided I'm going to get a master's in nonprofit management and Jewish studies. I can't be a rabbi's wife because that didn't happen. Um, But you know what I can do? I can run a Jewish organization. I can take part in what the Federation creates. I can help create Jewish community in a more vibrant way in the 21st century. And right on the eve of beginning that degree at New York University, I I connected with Rabbi Sarah Harwitz and Rabbi Jeff Fox, who I had heard uh, kind of like murmuring that they were they were uh, creating this seminary for Orthodox women to become clergy. Um, And Rabbi Sarah Harwitz had been ordained and I was wondering and chewing on it, wondering if it could ever be a possibility for me. And I went in for an informational interview and I left enrolled. Um, within a half an hour. So I know, I know you asked me a question, but I'll get to it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I studied. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I studied for smicha um, and finished in 2016. I'm happy to answer questions about that as well. But ultimately, um, my first position hit a stained glass ceiling, which is what we call it in the um, kind of feminism and clergy world which means there was no mobility for me to become a senior spiritual leader in my first position. And we can talk more about that. But ultimately, my only choice was, should I start a congregation of my own? Or should I stay in this job for a longer time, hoping that things will change kind of in the Orthodox world, and I can have a job that's more appropriate for my experience as I grow into the position. And I chose coming to start a congregation, which I can tell you more about. So you are Dane at... um with Rabbi Weiss in New York, correct? Yes, it was uh, Rabbi Weiss and Rabbi Dr. Daniel Sperber and Rabbi Jeffrey Fox were providing the smicha. Mm-hmm. So you go to the D.C. area and you get this call to come to Philly and start the shtibel. Um Talk to me about this. Your The, the shtibel itself is how, how many years have you been doing this? Well, it's so interesting. It wasn't even quite like that. So um, I'll, I'll tell you how it came to be. Yeah. I wish, I mean, it was a phone call, right? Um, but actually it was community organizing. Um, so I, I was in my position as the assistant spiritual leader, the first in the congregation in Potomac, Maryland, making such cool impact, controversy, difficulty, success, the full range. And when I discovered about myself that I was going to go start this congregation, I asked for one year to come here to Philadelphia on my day off and figure out where I was going to go. Because there was no reason Philadelphia did not exist beforehand for uh, in terms of the shtibel. It was a question of what city in the United States was perhaps interested in Hungary for this kind of spiritual leadership. So I looked at five different neighborhoods around Philadelphia um, and landed on South Philly, but only around 100 meetings in. Um, and then I started to make the make the moves to come here. And, and South Philly has a rich Jewish history. Uh, mm. uh, it probably let you know, and you probably discovered um, for a whole variety. It's not the subject of this podcast, but 
there's a it's a very very rich history in philly i mean born and raised here so um in particular where you are in in, in south philly and you could actually walk from the delaware river going down lumbered street or pine street and watch the area settlement in philadelphia from the colonial times and where it uh evolved south west and north uh it's it's a fascinating jewish city and very rich in its heritage where do you meet currently we meet at a uh building that i think it was formerly a dance studio um it is on the 1300 block of juniper street so it's probably around a um 1.2 miles from the center city um uh, action right 1.5 maybe from the liberty bell right down here in south philly like you're saying um it's just the richness of the shul history here is incredible there used to be 140 stiebler within uh, a mile of where i'm sitting right now correct correct it's very very yeah. rich and uh, very very rich in the history so your community organizing experience your spiritual experience, et cetera, et cetera, all combined. Um, and if you go to the website, and real fast, if somebody wants to click on the, the Google machine and um, find out more about the Stiebel, what's the, where do they go? SouthPhiladelphiaStiebel.org. SouthPhiladelphiaStiebel.org. And on that- Good luck spelling Stiebel. Yeah, go, yeah. go ahead, spell, spell it for everybody. It's S-H-T-I-E-B-E-L. On that website, you have uh, four, I think, I guess it's safe to say organizing principles that's, that really form the, the foundation for the Stiebel. What are they? So that's so interesting. And I'm like, kind of, I'm giggling because I'm like, do we? <laughs> the the structure of the Stiebel is constantly um, kind of in flux right now. We're basically a, a baby organization we are um trying to think we opened eight months before COVID hit right so this entire organization has been iterating like crazy from the very beginning um including by creating new programs and organizing principles and so you got to remind me actually which which where are you referring to okay so let, me, let me go through them so I, I didn't mean to throw you a curveball no it's okay um, the Stiebel structure is made of four core teams. Teams, teams, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Um, uh, uh, the the needs builds on classes, education stuff, community, uh, and the gabinet, which is a great word, um, takes care of all things davening and ritual. So you have all this sort of like um, mixture going into which which some people will say, well, that sounds pretty familiar to a to a congregation. You have ritual and education and community etc 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 how have you organized this this stiebel yeah good question so we do have four core teams um instead of a traditional board we do have a traditional board as well a 501c3 board but in addition to that we have a, a set of lay leadership led teams um, that are meant to be nimble um can respond quickly and they exist in four general areas, like you're saying. So learning and study is a major area of our shul, of our shtibel. We have uh, also just received a Covenant Foundation grant for our lay-led um, small group, uh, tech study right. groups. Um, so that's one major area. 
Another major area is, of course, the tefillah, the davening practice of the community. Um, and that is led by the gabinet, as you said. We have a gatherings team, uh, which is all about people who, who uh, bring others together. And of course, our foundations team, which is about kind of building operations for the shul and making sure it functions. Uh, this summer, we're adding another team to the mix, which we're really excited about, um, about inclusion and belonging, um, a, a team that's dedicated solely to the mission of making sure that across all of our gatherings and our davenings, that there is a sense of belonging for those who feel marginalized in various spaces particularly Orthodox ones. So um, in the davening section, so mm -hmm. would one be correct in saying this, the, the South Philadelphia Stiebel is a modern Orthodox community? Is it more yep. egalitarian? Absolutely. Is there a, a mechitza? Yep, there's mechitza, yep. It's, um, the mechitza goes down the middle. It's pretty... Uh, I don't know. I don't know what the word is accessible. Like yeah. it's easy to see um, over it. Um, and then the shulchan where we daven, where we uh, read the Torah from straddles the men and women's section. And we have a woman uh, standing there as gabait, um, watching the Torah reading and facilitating some things on the women's side while there is a male gabait as well. We have women do uh, certain things during the service, but ultimately it looks uh, pretty familiar to another modern Orthodox shul that perhaps you've been to or seen. The demographics, uh, Rabbi Fruchter, of, of the Stiebel, uh, are they cross multi, uh, uh, generational? Are they skewing more younger? Because there's a significant amount of younger people as well as boomers moving in back into the city. So what, are, what are you finding? I think that's right. I mean, it's young people like, uh, folks in their twenties and thirties and boomers are a huge, uh, huge number of people. I think we have a, a group at the Stiebel that meets ages 50 and above. Right. Um, we just had an event with 35 people just the other day. Uh, now, what I think is so interesting is that whenever I talk about the Stiebel, the response of the funder or the person I'm talking to is like, oh, it must be so young and vibrant. And I'm like, what? That's, I, you know, First of all, I don't think that's the ideal way to build spiritual community. You don't put one age in a room and then say that it's vibrant. Um, but also, I think, you know, we could talk about this probably at length, but my favorite kinds of spiritual experiences are built with spiritual seekers who are in the phase of life after the children leave the house if they've had children, right? It's like all of the spiritual seeking and curiosity and energy of a 25-year-old, of a but like differently wise. Um, which is really, really wonderful. And um, what I found is that the recruitment for that group has to be way more intentional than the recruitment for the younger set. Um, there's kind of this sense that, oh, I don't belong unless I'm invited to a place like this. Um, and so we do that pretty aggressively. We also have a, a lovely teen program. Um, so that means folks in their, I don't know, middle stage of life, uh, perhaps in their 40s and early 50s as well. Well, certainly what we're finding in, in the work that we do at Jewish Sacred Aging is, yes, our generation really has now the gift of longevity in many cases. And because of that longevity, we've begun yeah. to ask some very, very serious questions about meaning, searching, God, community, mortality, 
Um, so I'm not surprised mm. that you're finding it, but I'm also not surprised that you're finding that attraction in a, in, I think it's safe to say in a non-traditional, non-traditional denominational for, formula. So the, and I, and as you said, you started right before COVID. So I would imagine a lot of the stuff in the last two and a half years have been on the Zoom machine or, or a uh, virtual. Are you moving back now into hybrid? You know, since we're an Orthodox shul, we were never on Zoom during davening, really? pretty much. Um, that said, we um, we introduced right at the beginning of the pandemic, my dafyomi, my daily Talmud class, uh, moved online. Um, so I, I do teach uh, the daily Talmud class. And then we have a peer-led Tanakh class. So every chapter is taught by a different community member every night at 9 o'clock. And we do like an adapted Kaddish online um and amisha bera for those who are ill prayer for those who are ill so we were meeting every day online except for shabbat where we've spent the last year and a half finding crazy outdoor locations with masks without masks vax not it's just been wild but we did not really stop uh davening um except when there was a stay-at-home order yeah um so it's been really kind of uh, difficult to find the correct physical spaces w- in which to meet, but we've kept that up. Um, the summer, uh, we started the high holidays this year outdoors. We had 200 for the high holidays, and now we are in a new space indoors, um, and we have between you know 80 and 120 on a Shabbat morning. How has been the re- response locally by the board of rabbis, by the local Orthodox community to what you're doing? Um, when I initially came here, I got, uh, there were some headlines, right? Like about me coming and some discomfort and some hateful stuff that was said. But overall, um, it's either been a, I'm going to just let you do your thing. Or even better, some of the rabbis here have reached out and been supportive to me privately. Um, so while they may not be, you know, publicly invite me onto certain rabbinic associations, I'm still... Uh, very much engaged in the conversation and some of the more centrist communities. There's also another modern Orthodox rabbi who's incredible here, Rabbi Eliezer Hirsch in Center City, who's been an ally from the very beginning, um, which is which is really, really great. Um, just in terms of like his orientation towards community is so generous and wonderful. And when I, he heard I was coming here, he was just like, great. So he has an amazing shul um, around a mile and a half away. And we both support uh, different and also complementary communities in Center City. Yeah, I think that, I mean, this is really, again, to be quite honest, as we talked about this, why I'm so fascinated by this, because it really is, you are part of a trend that we're seeing around the country. Um, <laughs> and um, it's almost like the theology takes a backseat to the community that we are so hungry for community, that we want community, especially post-pandemic, if we ever get out of this, um, that to engage in an energetic, free uh, type of community is more, I'm not worried about the theology, um, which I find fascinating. If somebody wants to be involved now, you know, what's the... You know, is there a due structure uh, or is, how have you handled that? Because this is obviously 
as you know, a point of great contention to many congregations. Yeah, I'm also just, I'm chewing on what you've just put forth, kind of the community coming before the theology. And I think what I've been thinking about is how the community is the theology, right? And when I think about halakhically, when it comes to Jewish law, we're thinking here at the Stiebel, thinking about all the ways in which shuls need to adjust a little bit to make community kind of more central to uh, the dynamics and the liturgy. Um, but yeah, we could talk more about that. In terms of the dues structure, um, when you said it's a trend, right, that what we're doing yeah. around the country, I, I do think all that we're doing is just putting shul in a slightly different container, right? It's like, all the same things. And we even have a due structure. It's just called a buildership instead of a membership. And it is a sustainer model instead of kind of a classic membership so model. What does so that mean, like sustainer. Yeah. So like kind of like NPR. You know, you support NPR. Um, you send your I don't know, you support this podcast, whatever it is. You send you send your money in and you listen and enjoy the podcast, but you don't have a, a there's no voting uh, in that way. There's not like a membership structure that follows the bylaws from 1915. You know, it's it's a little bit like there's a 501c3 board of the organization. There's a lay structure and you make a donation to support that structure. Now, what that allows me to do is it allows me to avoid questions about who belongs in this community. Um, and in many Orthodox communities, there's a lot of exclusion that goes on about who can support the community financially. <laughs> Um, because of, are you Jewish? Who are you married to? You know, et cetera. Um, and that's not even an issue right now. It's who do you support the mission of this community? If so, we will, we would love to call you a builder. Um, so that's one of the ways that I think that even, you know, legacy shuls can, can start to do more inclusion, right? Do you, do you need the exact structure? Um, and I, I hope that the shuls that are popping up around the country that look like the Stiebel, are kind of inspiring also to shuls that can just make changes and we can take the risks and try them out, you know, because um, we have that uh, ability to kind of move around a little bit and be iterative. So th this, what's been the most exciting thing for you as, as a colleague who's embarking on this great adventure? And it is an adventure and, and to build a community in your own image is exciting. It's it's challenging. It's probably a little frustrating every once in a while. What's been the most exciting aspect of these last couple of years for you? Honestly, my, my first answer is, I, I'm just going to tell you, I felt, I felt it um, actually this past Shabbat. Um, I was in the kitchen that we just built here in the Shtibel, and I was cutting vegetables for Sudashli Sheet. Um, and I was looking around this beautiful, open, sun-soaked space with tables of people learning around the room, eating snacks. Some of them were playing games. I saw a father and his daughter learning Talmud, um, the sun kind of pouring in through the window on all of the plants. And I just kind of felt this calm of, oh my gosh, I created a thing where people feel at home. Um, and it felt like what I experienced as a kid, right? And that's the full circle. Um, and that's been really, really nourishing for me is just watching people be at ease in their religious space, that they can connect with God on their own terms, that they can explore liturgy, that they can feel welcome and not alienated. So I'm sure hopefully we're pushing everybody a little bit, um, not about comfort. Um, 
but just the idea that home is a place where you can show up um, and put your feet up and, and really, really dig in. That's, that's one thing that's, that's really been nourishing me. Um, the other thing is that I get to create a model for my Orthodox female colleagues, right? Um, this, you know, there's, there's one other woman, um, in the country, I, I believe, uh, who is running her own shul, um, in Riverdale and then another in Israel, um, in Afrath. And there's not many of us who can kind of chart a path forward because there, are, I have 50 colleagues who are alumni of Yeshivat Mahara. Mm-hmm. And they need models to do this as well. So I get to coach and I get to advise and take the experience um, because actually it's been hard. I have no, I actually did not grow up wanting to be an entrepreneur. I did not think this was what I was going to do. Um, I don't love, I mean, some people say, don't you love being your own boss? And I'm like, no, (laughs) you know, where I would love to work with a partner. This is hard. Um, But actually it's nourishing to know that uh, my colleagues won't have the same exact challenges that I did because I can pass on what went wrong or, or what they can do better. No, it is very challenging. Look, um, as I think I mentioned, uh, Rabbi Friesen was in my class 50 years ago. And Amazing. we watched in my rabbinate in these 50, we watched the shift uh, in everything, especially in the role of women in the rabbinate and the impact of it in, in our community. And I, just from listening to what you just said, this is, this is a tremendously powerful path that you're, that you're, that you're leading. And yes, you, you are, you will be a pioneer and, or you are a pioneer and you will have young women in your congregation who will look at you and 10 years from now will walk up and thank you because you opened the door for them that they never thought they could go through. Which, by the way, is is what I tell young rabbinic students, this is why you go into the rabbinate. You're not going to get rich. But you get paid in ways that are priceless. Because you change a human being. You, 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 and the ability to change a human being's life and the seeds that you're planting, which may not come to bear for years, that's that's the calling, and your grandparents probably are extremely mm-hmm. proud of you. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, they're not living, but you know, I sometimes wonder, you know, what would what would my my grandfather think or say? Um, but you know, it's just like a fun tidbit. Um, my my grandfather, Rabbi Alfred Fruchter, they shared a two family home with the Presley family in Memphis, Tennessee, in 1950, 1955. So, you know, I sometimes think, yeah, he he was like progressive enough, right, to have a relationship with Elvis, you know, um, thinking about how he was engaged in the world and wondering how the ways that I'm engaged in the world kind of parallel that. I'm just wondering if they'll, if your family will eventually discover a an Adon alum written by Elvis Presley in, on his way up. I mean, who knows? Who knows? I mean, probably. probably, probably. Yeah. Why not? Why not? <laughs> what? Yeah. Before we run out of time, and again, I thank you for for your time and, and wish you just nothing but success and happiness. And if I'm allowed to say so, because this is posting in July, Mazel Tov on your wedding. Um, thank you. What's your hope for this coming year? What What is in your soul as you now enter this wonderful stage of your life, you're 
You're creating this dream. What is it that you, what is your hope? Hmm. Well, my, my personal hope um, is that I can find the capacity that I need, both the spiritual, emotional, financial, just the whole range of what it takes to sustain an organization that I find enough capacity so I could continue to be present for the people, right? Starting an organization and running an organization means I'm the executive director and the facilities manager in addition to the Rebbanit. And that's, that can be hard. So that's a personal hope that I have. But my communal hope is that um, our community continues to keep finding kind of beautiful cracks that let in more expansive energy into our community, um, more energy of possibility. I think I grew up with a little bit of scarcity in the in the Jewish community, a fear of questions of continuity, fear about institutional instability. I kind of wonder if your question, what are you hoping for this year, <laughs> can be the motto of the, of the Jewish community, right? What does that look like uh, to actually create more space to breathe and be creative? Um, and I think that's actually a beautiful way to leave COVID, right? When you have such a rupture, um, that's the crack, That is right? Um, and we can go back to doing exactly what we were doing, or we can honor the crack and see what we can find. So that is the door that is opening in your future. So um, I wish you much happiness and joy and health and peace as you walk through that door into the next chapter, because it's going to be very exciting. Thank so you, thank you again, uh, Rabbanit Hadas Fruchter, the South Philadelphia Stiebel. Um, real fast again, the website, how to get somebody wants to c- connect with it. What's the What's the address? It's South Philadelphia Stiebel, S-H-T-I-E-B-E-L dot org. We have Shabbos every week. You're all welcome um, and learning Good every day. Rabbi. Check it out, including oh, you, uh, Rabbi. <laughs> I can drop in from Jersey. I'm just literally from yes, my house awesome. to your place is without traffic about 20 minutes. The park. Here's, oh my God. here's the reality question before we run out of time. I know exactly where you yeah. are. Parking. Do you have a park? During the day, I, fine. After six, yes. Illegally, yes. Legally, uh, as you've probably not. gotten from South Philadelphia, people park in some very interesting places in South Philadelphia. But yeah. it's a great, yeah. it's yeah. Someone's yes, parked in my office. It's a right great now. area. So, Todaroba again, and to all of you, thank you again for joining us on today's edition of Seekers of Meaning, the TV show and podcast arm of Jewish Sacred Aging. Remember, uh, we appreciate your donations. Go to the website, jewishsacredaging.com. Click on the donate button. Secrets of Meaning is produced at the Broadcast Center of Lubetkin Media Companies in bucolic, peaceful Cherry Hill, New Jersey. And we thank our producer, Steve Lubetkin. Again, I'm your host, Rabbi Richard Address. I look forward to greeting you on our next Secrets of Meaning TV show and podcast. And until that time, stay safe, stay healthy, and most of all, have a wonderful summer and be kind. Be kind. Badarabah Shalom.